Father, I thank you that your power is immense. I'm so grateful that I serve not a puny little God, but the God who is the Lord of all of heaven and whom your word says, the earth is but your footstool. God, I thank you for your power. Lord, I recognize that your Holy Spirit is here today and that you are alive and active, speaking to hearts, allowing the word to penetrate deep into our hearts. Lord, I pray that today you would use me to bring a blessing to your church. That, Father, it would not be me, but it would be you who ministers hope inside of every heart. Father, I thank you that in this place, there are people here who need to say yes to you. They need to say yes, Lord, maybe for the first time, or they need to say yes for the thousandth time once more and commit to a relationship that is true with you. Lord, I pray that today nothing would stop them from making that choice. Father, I thank you that in this place there are men and women who are searching and wondering, God, what is this thing church and church family all about? Father, I pray that today they find out that today in this place, they're home. That Celebration International Church is the place that you have called them to for this season. And Father, as always, I am mindful. I am not speaking to a defeated, broken people. But I'm speaking to men and women who have your image and likeness. Who are victorious. Who are called. Who are loved and cherished. And there is nothing and no one that could ever stop them in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people, if you believe this with me, say amen. Amen. Before you're seated, let's look at the screen. I want you to say these words with me because I believe that there is power in our confession. Amen. So let's go on three. One, two, three. The applied word of God will change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith, not sight. I claim promise, pursue passionately, and prosper as what? My faith is my proof. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. If you got your Bibles, I want you to make your way to the Old Testament, to the book of Ruth. We've been in a series called Loyal Love. We've been exploring the book of Ruth, and last week we wrapped up in chapter three. We finished that chapter on a cliffhanger. Think about it. In the middle of a night, a proposal was made. And although Boaz is interested in Ruth, he reveals to this young lady that there is someone else in line. There is another who could claim right of first refusal to marry her. And so we finish that chapter with Ruth, our protagonist, going home once more 
with their future insecure. We find the protagonist, Ruth, going home to meet Naomi, her mother-in-law, who tells her, sit tight, my daughter. I can imagine Ruth laying on her pillow that night, and she's mulling things over in her mind and saying, I'm to be married, but to who? I love this man, Boaz. He has treated me so right. He has dignified me with respect. He has not taken advantage of me. He fancies me and I fancy him. Yet there's somebody else that could claim me for their own. I'm to be married. But will it be to the man I love? Or will it be to a total stranger that I don't know? Can you feel some of her tension? Ladies, especially those of you who live in modern times, who did not have an arranged marriage, how does that fare for you? I'm going to be married tomorrow. But to who? That's not the type of thing that we want to leave up to chance. That's not the type of, of decision that we just want to let anybody else make for us. So this lady is left on a cliffhanger. We don't know what's going to happen. And so, friends, I want us to pick up on chapter 4 as you're making your way over there. I want you to see the main point, the main thing that I want you to leave away with as you conclude your time with us here today. I want you to see how we, say we, we cannot imagine the full extent of the story that God is writing. We don't see fully the impact of what he is writing for our lives, how that will impact the lives of others around us. But what I want you to see through the story is that we can discover that we are called to be faithful. Say faithful. And God's reward for that faithfulness is hope for all who trust in him. Are you in chapter 4? Say amen. 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 Let's begin in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and he sat there. Let's, let's park it right here. Boaz, this man who has been treating Ruth so kindly, this business owner who had a field and workers at his employ, who had seen this lady and treated her so nice. This man who met with Ruth in the middle of the night on the threshing floor and she expressed to him her desire to be married. This man decides to go sit at a gate. A gate. How many of y'all got a gate at the end of your driveway? How many of you have gone to a gate at the airport? It's not the most fun gate to go through, is it? Got to go through the security gate, the check gate. Got to take off your shoes, your belt, your socks, everything. It's like, geez, I'm just trying to fly on a plane. Boaz is sitting at a gate. This is no garden fence gate, no gate at the end of your driveway. This is the gate of the city. <coughs> city gates in Palestine in the time of the Iron Age were complex structures with lookout towers where people could come and, and, and 
take care and protect the town. It would be a place for gathering of the citizens within the town where official administrative business and laws would be executed, where the business of the community would be taken care of at the city gate. Chapter 13, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, we, we found that Ruth was wondering how Boaz is going to overcome this dilemma. She comes to him in the middle of the night and says, spread your cloak over me. In a way, hey, be my spiritual covering. Will you be my protector? Would you be my provider? Would you become my husband and take care of me? To which Boaz says, I can't do that, though I want to. I have to first give this other redeemer the opportunity. For he is more closely related to you than I. So she's wondering, how is he going to solve this dilemma? Well, right here in chapter 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, we learn that Boaz reveals to us what exactly he's going to do. He's going to take the matter up to court. He's going to go to the city gates where the officials can do business and they can have conversations and bring in witnesses and they will make a decision. And it goes on to say, and behold, the Redeemer who Boaz had spoken of, he came by and then he tells the guy, hey, you, sir, sit down, sit right here, sit with me, let's talk. And then as other witnesses and elders are coming through, he says, hey, you guys, come on over, sit down with us. And he gathers 10 men and they sit by the city gates. And now court is in session. Now, when I read this, okay, can I, can I be honest with you and just be real? How many of you have ever like, you know, read your Bible and have you, you've like shouted at your Bible before? Anybody? Oh, you don't do that. You just do that for games, right? Like you're watching the football game. You're watching the Super Bowl and you see the play come through and the ref makes a call and you're like, no, why'd you do that? You should have caught that ball. That's a bad call. That's a bad play. No, why'd you throw the flag in? Y'all do that for the games, right? Well, I do this for my Bible when I'm reading it. Boaz goes up and he sits at the city gate. And this is when I say, no, Boaz, what you doing? Dude, you like her, don't you? Like from the moment she came onto your field, you asked the foreman, who's that lady over there? Dude, you liked her. She caught your eye from day one. From day one, you've been providing for this girl. Hey, guys, let her glean behind you. Oh, and by the way, just pick up some stuff and leave it on the floor for her. Not just the scraps, leave the good stuff. God, Boaz, you've been providing from this girl. Boaz, you have been protecting. You told the other men, do not touch her. You've been providing. You, she's caught your eye. You are interested. And you know what, Boaz, by the way, uh, this girl is reciprocating the, the same thing. When she came to you in the cover of night, last night at the threshing floor, you said to her, you have done me a kindness beyond the first because you did not choose young men or old men. You did not choose the rich or the poor, but you have preferred me. You've come to me and asked me to spread my cloak over you. So Boaz, you like her. Boaz, she likes you. Guy, just get married. This is where I'm, I'm yelling at my Bible, no, don't go to court. Don't invite a jury of your peers. 
Don't go invite someone else's opinion and somebody else's insight and someone else's interest. You're going to mess this thing up, God. Get married already. Anybody feeling this? Like, like this is how I read the Bible, all right? So put some, put some excitement into it. You know, put yourself in the shoes of what's going on. Girls, you have just expressed your love to this guy. And you have done this at home. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. How many flowers have you depetaled already, all right? And now the dude says, I'm going to go to court and ask the other guy if he wants to marry you. No, 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 no. Don't mess this thing up. And so Boaz goes to court. Instead of just marrying the girl... And the reality is that this could not, it has the very potential of not ending in his favor. Which brings me to the first idea that I want us to consider. That we are to pick the right thing. Choose the right thing, not the emotional thing. Let me say that again, because that might resonate with some people here this morning. It's exactly what the doctor ordered. You are to choose the right thing not the emotional thing. You clearly like the girl, Boaz. She clearly likes you. You are riding high on emotions. So you know what? Just go get married because the emotions tell you this feels good. Boaz, pick the right thing, not the emotional thing. What is the right thing? Man, now there is a good guiding question. Ask yourself, what's the right thing? What is the right thing? Because Boaz is concerned about his integrity before God, before, because he is concerned with the law of Israel, he can't just float on his emotions and walk down the aisle. He tells Ruth, hey, honey, we're going to go do the right thing. How many have said I do at an altar without truly weighing what the right thing is? How many relationships have been consummated without ever asking the question, is this the right thing? How much pain and sorrow and struggles and drama and baby mama drama and all sorts of other things have caused because of the fact that somebody never stopped to ask the question, what is the right thing? Just because something looks good, smells good, and maybe fits well and fits good into some dynamic of your life does not mean that it is good. I don't know, I think I'm preaching to the choir here today. Maybe I'm preaching beyond everybody this morning. But just because something feels good doesn't mean that it is good. Just because there's fruit on the tree doesn't mean that it's the right fruit. Just because it's there and it looks good, not all that glitters is gold. You've got to ask the question, what is the right thing? And when you start exploring that question, let me just tell you some insight here. As I've gone through and had to learn this lesson on my own and in my own life, it felt good, looked good, and I got in a whole heap of mess because I did not ask what was the right thing. I remember having to leave my apartment when I was in college because I had signed a lease with a roommate. And on that roommate, it said that this lease is being signed between you and the aforementioned person who is your roommate. There is no subletting. There is no other people who can be 
house within this place. You may receive a guest from time to time, but you may not have someone else live here. And I looked at that contract and I signed that contract. And then, uh, you know, several months later, I'm having a meeting with my landlord. Why? Because something felt good. Something fit good into my dynamic. And that was the fact that, you know what? I'm just being the right guy, the nice guy, doing the right thing. My girlfriend at the time had, you know, been kicked out of her house. She had no place to go. So, hey, honey, you live with me. And something that felt good, looked good, turned out to be not the best thing for me. I had to leave the apartment. I lost my security deposit. And not only that, I clearly was in the wrong because we were not married. And I was trying to go beyond my station. I was just a college student just doing whatever. And then you know what? And it just caused a lot more problems in my life than it caused blessings because it looked good. But yet there was other people telling me, you probably shouldn't do this. My roommate being one of them, when he came back from vacation, being back home in Georgia, why is this person living in our house? This don't look good. So let me ask you, let me, let me give you some insight. When you are contemplating the question, is this right? Let me just tell you that the answer is going to align first and foremost with the word of God. It's going to start aligning with the word of God. And what does God say? What does he declare to be good? What has he ordained as laws and principles that are for our good and not for our detriment? So when you start answering that question, it lines up with the word of God, but then it also lines up with the advice of your loving family. See, I had plenty of advice from my mom during that time, and she was trying to get a pulse on what I was doing all the way down in Rhode Island, and she could sense from the phone calls that something's not quite right with my son. And she was trying to give me hints and tell me, don't do this, avoid that issue. You know better. I've taught you better. And yet my feel-good moment, my desire was going against the advice of what mom wanted to say. So it's going to line up with God's word. It's going to line up with the advice of loving family who love you most and know you best. But it's also going to line up with this reality, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. Friends, if what you are looking at that feels good, looks good, fits good into some dynamic of your life, if it goes against any of these other three things, then all I have to say for you is run. QA Wall Nation right now, run. Run. If your feelings are conflicting with those things, run. Why? Because we have to choose the right thing, not the emotional thing. Boaz says, Look, this could not work in our favor, but we are going to court. We're going to do the right thing and give this man the opportunity to come and redeem you if he chooses to do so. If he doesn't, believe me, honey, I'll be right there to do it myself. Verse 3, then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the Moab of, uh, the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, but in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, 
I will redeem it. Again, this is where I'm shouting at my Bible. No! He said he's going to do it. Exactly what I told you, Boaz. Ref, I told you not to make that call. Look what happened. I told you, Brady, you're supposed to throw it this way. You know what? I'm yelling at the Bible. Because the man says, I'm going to redeem it. Then Boaz says, okay. The day that you buy the field, you also acquire Ruth. Here's the kicker. The redeemer could not just buy the land. He couldn't just enjoy the expansion of his holdings without also embracing the responsibility of a marriage. Here's the other thought I want you to understand. Some things are only available in packaged deals. Somebody say amen. Singles, pay attention, please. If you're dating somebody who only wants your field, then you better run. If all they want is your field and not you, run. If he is coming after you for all the beautiful things within your field, run. Ladies, please don't chase the guy because he's got a beautiful field. He's got the cars and the money and the this and the that. If they're only interested in the field, you better run. Because somebody should want you for all of you. They should want you and the responsibility of you. They want the whole package. Some things only come in packaged deals. For the day that you buy the field, you also acquire Ruth. Don't let one advantageous term blind you to the otherwise terrible contract. Don't be blinded by what you get that you lose sight of what you must give. Are we listening here? But pastor, did you not hear me? He is a chiseled Greek God. Ladies, pastor, pastor, come on, pastor. Did you see her? Look at her Instagram. She is a knockout 10. Do you know, what I'm, I'm, you know who I'm talking about here, pastor? She's interested in me. She's a 10. Like, at best, I'm like a three, and she's interested in me. Yeah, but how many times have their character and their loyalty come up in conversations? Okay, no problem. You get the eye candy on your arm, but you lose the exclusivity. Don't be consumed about what you get that you lose sight of what you give. But pastor, it's a substantial pay increase. It's success, pastor. I just have to put on the dress. I just have to endure the occasional improper physical advances. Just seldomly, occasionally, sometimes, behind closed doors. Okay, fine, you get success, but you give up your dignity. But pastor, pastor, you know what? If I just go, it's acceptance from and it's access to others and lives who will otherwise never know and hear the gospel. I just have to be in their room. I just have to participate and celebrate just a moment of their sin. Yeah, sure, you got access, all right. You've gotten their ear, but you have compromised your integrity, your values, your morality, your salvation. You have muddied the gospel for the sake of the gospel to get to ears that might not hear them. You need to compromise the gospel. Hey, hello, you've already lost because participation, even for a moment 
What does the Bible say? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. Some things are only available in a package deal. I want this and I'm going to get this, so I'm going to give up that. And you know what? No, you don't get to choose a la carte what ones you want and what you're going to take. When you buy something, you buy the field, you buy the whole thing. You want the field, you need the whole thing. Some things are only available in package deals. The first redeemer answered, I cannot redeem this. For maybe it's going to mess up my own inheritance. Yeah, she, that looks good. That field, that's going to expand my holdings. That's going to be, you know, more assets in my portfolio. I'm going to be able to employ more people or have more servants or blah, 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 blah. You know what? But uh, it comes with Ruth. I'm already working out with my own kids and my own inheritance and my own lands. Now I've got to add another. There's the cost of taking care of Ruth and the cost of taking care of Naomi and the cost of trying to, you know, do all of these things in addition to what I've got. If I do this whole thing, no, I can't. I can't just take the benefit here without taking care of the responsibility here. Couples, those of you who want to get married... Those of you who want to accomplish and do something of significance, you cannot experience the benefits without also embracing the responsibility. And here is what happens. If we broaden this point out, because we get to see it on this angle. But friend, don't we broaden this and, and invert this? See, I want you to understand that God's loving blessing is a packaged deal with obedience. Jesus said, John 14, 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them. And I love them and reveal myself to each of them. So what is Jesus saying? No obedience, no love. No love, no acceptance. No acceptance, no presence. No presence, no life. For it is in the revelation of Jesus' presence that we receive life. He reveals life. And we come into him through his revelation. People are often invert the equation when it comes to faith. They fixate on one detail of obedience and how that's undesirable to their immediate ambition. There's Jesus. You know what he said? Oh, come on, really? Oh. If I, like, even look at her lustfully, I've already committed the issue. But she's beautiful to look at. I just want just, just a peek. I'm just so frustrated at this person because they did this thing to me. And you know what? I just get so angry. And in your heart, if you've already desired ill will toward another, you've already committed the act of murder. Oh, I have to love this person in the midst of their blunder. I have to do the right thing in the midst of the fact that they just messed this whole thing up. They made my life all complicated. And Yes. People often invert the equation. We look at one little detail of obedience and how it's undesirable in our moment, in our immediate ambitions, what our flesh asks for, what it wants, that we lose sight of the overwhelming blessing of eternal life. If we were to just follow through in obedience. Don't fixate on one term of the contract that you lose sight of the whole contract. 
Some things are only available in package deals. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 through 10. So this is what it goes on to say. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And there's a whole explanation in the Bible there of what that means. It was a way of, you know, symbolically finishing the contract, demonstrating what you guys just agreed upon. So you know what? The sandal of this person, I I was going to walk this field. I was going to walk this land and have it as mine. I take off my sandal. I give to you because I will not be the one walking in it. You will. I don't want to do it. You do it. It was a symbol. He drew, drew off his sandal. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witness this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Amlimelech and all that belonged to Kilian. And to Malon, and also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Now skip down to verse 13. And it goes on to say, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Hallelujah. I'm singing in my Bible once more. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Friends, have you noticed, if you've been with us here in the last couple of weeks, from Ruth chapter 1 now to chapter 4, that there's only two times in the whole book of Ruth that the narrator, the writer of the book, ascribes actions to God. It's first found in chapter 1, verse 6, where it is said that God visited his people by giving them food. And now in chapter 4, verse 13, it says that God gave Ruth conception. There's a book of four chapters, and only in two verses do we find reference to God having the active agency, which means that everywhere in between lies the agency of man, lies the actions of man and woman. God moves here and he moves here. In between, it's all of us moving and doing and completing and fulfilling and orchestrating and planning and strategizing and executing. It's all of that that's going on, which brings me to this next idea, which is that God moves to honor those who do the right thing. Tell your neighbor, do the right thing. Pick the whole package. Go ahead, tell your other neighbor. Pick the whole package. Take the whole thing in its entirety. Because when you do the right thing, God moves to honor those who do the right thing. I want us to break this down because we're going we're gonna to conclude this here. I'm trying to be very practical with you this morning as we put a bow on this book of the Bible and wrap up this beautiful love story of redemption. Let's break this down. How does God move to honor those who do the right thing? Look at Boaz. Boaz is a man who is certainly interested in the girl. But by his own confession, by the words that have come out of his own mouth, Boaz shows us that his motivations transcend self-interest. 
the reason for him moving and doing goes beyond himself. Do the right thing, Boaz. Honor the dead. Verse 10, also Ruth, I have bought to be my wife. But why, Boaz? Because she looks so fine? Because she's young and maybe could give you a son? Because she's available and interested in you when all the other ladies have passed you by? Why, Boaz, are you picking her? Why, Boaz, are you doing this thing? Because to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. See, friends, in Bible times, one of the worst curses you could say to somebody is, may your name be blotted out from history. May your heirs fail you. And may your name be forgotten. May your line be wiped out. And here comes Boaz. Hey, I'll marry the girl. But not because of why everybody else marries nowadays. Because I want to get everything I possibly can out of this relationship. I want to get somebody who's going to be my helpmate. Somebody who's going to add to me. Somebody who's going to complete me. No, no, no. Let me marry her because, yes, I'm interested. Yes, she's beautiful. Yes, she's going to add to me. Yes, she's going to be an incredible helper. Yes, she's going to bring value and life into my life because the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But let me marry her because I don't want the name of her former husband to disappear from the record. I don't want his lands to be done away with and fallen into somebody else's hands. Again, we talked about last Sunday, this idea of a kinsman redeemer. And just a refresher for those of you who might have missed it. If there's this concept of a kinsman redeemer who is a fellow relative, a person who is related to you, and usually it would come in this process. If you pass away and you have a brother and you pass away without uh, creating a son, you leave your widow behind, then the law provided a Leverite marriage where the brother of the deceased would come and marry the widow so that they could have a child in the name of the deceased brother. That way, the brother's name and his line would not die out, but that first child to be born would be holding and carrying the name of that family. A kinsman redeemer was also responsible to rescue and purchase you back if you had been so indebted that you sold yourself into slavery to pay back the debt. A kinsman redeemer would come in and buy back lands because of your debt that you sold. They would reclaim the lands if they had the money to pay for it and redeem you so that the lands could stay within the family. The kinsman redeemer would come. If somebody had been murdered, they would be the avenger of blood who would seek the justice that you deserve. In the court of law. And now let the case go cold and quiet. The kinsman redeemer here, Boaz, says, I'm going to come and secure the name of your dead husband. Now, friends, stop and think about this. 
the man who had the right to do this decides not to do it. He says to Boaz, I cannot redeem Ruth. Why? Because I don't want it to dilute my own inheritance. This man acted to secure his name. And whose name are we reading about today? Not his. We're reading about Boaz. For the rest of history, till the dawn of time when it, when, when it, when time ends and Jesus returns, we will forever be speaking the name of Boaz and not the name of this man. Why? Because Boaz risked his own name to elevate the name of another and God honored him because God moves to honor those who do the right thing. Friends, if you're trying to make a name for yourself, don't do it. Focus on doing the right thing and God will make sure that others remember your name. Just focus on doing the right thing because when you do the right thing, it's the right thing to do at the right time, always, every time. The right thing will work because God is the keeper of records. Maybe it might cost you here in this life, but guarantee you this, that he who keeps good records will pay you in the next one. Don't be consumed with making a name for yourself. But be consumed with doing the right thing. God moves to honor those who do the right thing. Romans 2, verses 6 and 7. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. What about Ruth? What about this foreign woman who came into the mix? who belongs to another land. This widowed foreigner decides to do the right thing by honoring her mother-in-law. She honors Naomi by not leaving her side. She says to her, your God will be my God. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Nothing but death will separate us. When she gets back to Bethlehem, she goes to work trying to collect the scraps in the fields to bring home some food to feed herself and Naomi to honor her mother-in-law. Not even her mom. Ruth shows us to do the right thing. She forsakes her own family line. She forsakes her own claims of national origin and national religion. And as a result of her obedience, we see Ruth graduating. If you notice the words that's used to describe this lady, as she describes herself to Naomi, to Boaz, to others, you see her as a result graduating from the word foreigner. In chapter 2, verse 10. She then goes to lowest servant in chapter 2, 13. She becomes the maid servant in chapter 3, 9. And now in chapter 4, she gets the title of Isa, wife. The foreigner progresses because she does the right thing. God moves to honor those who do the right thing. Not only that, but you look at verse 13 and it says, And the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. You got to read between the lines. Because nowhere in that scripture does the Bible say, and God granted her a miracle. But stop and think about this. When Naomi had left Bethlehem because there was no bread, to pursue bread in Moab, she left with her husband Elimelech. They go, and then when they arrive there, he dies. The sons of Naomi meet and marry other women. They married Orpah and Ruth. And for 10 years, they're in that country. 
For 10 years, this young couple are trying to constitute a family. And for 10 years, Ruth is not able to conceive with her young husband, Malon. And Malon dies, she continues on childless, barren, infertile. And so, friends, when you read this in chapter 13, verse 13, it's an incredible statement that has to be interpreted against the backdrop of what's happening. Apparently, this 10 years of marriage with Malon, she remained childless, unable to conceive. And now, here, graciously, God grants Ruth a son with a much older man. Kind of reminiscent of what God does with Abraham. A man beyond his years. A woman who was infertile. God grants the privilege and the blessing of a conception. This is the narrator's very tactful way of declaring there's a miracle here. What this woman was unable to bear with her young husband, she can now bear with her much older husband. Psalms 37, 4, 6, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord and trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness reward Shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. Praise God. Naomi, how does God honor this woman? Because God does move to honor those who do the right thing. Think about this lady who left Bethlehem feeling full. She has the fullness of her husband and finding fulfillment in her family. She leaves with her husband and her two boys. She returns, though, to Bethlehem completely empty having lost both her husband and her children. Faithfully, this woman looks over and she sees what? A daughter-in-law. I shall never leave you nor forsake you. This woman who comes and says to all the other ladies in the town, do not call me Naomi, pleasant, but call me Mara, bitter. This woman who left full, returns empty, is bitter. She is hurting. She is mourning. She is wounded. And she comes on back, and by her side is this faithful daughter-in-law named Ruth, so much so that in chapter 3, Naomi says, I got to do the right thing, and I got to find you a husband. I want to see you well, Ruth. I want to see you doing okay. And so she commits to doing that. And what happens? By making her focus the well-being of her daughter-in-law and taking a risk, telling her to do this strategy and this scheme, going in the middle of the night where it could have been interpreted wrong and things could have gone badly. She finds that God is playing matchmaker and not just her. A marriage license is issued. A family is established. Elimelech's name and seed is restored. Naomi's life is spared and guarded. And now with the birth of a grandson, Naomi experiences a new outlook on life. She has a new take on life and she has a new future that only a grandson, male heir, can provide. God moves to honor the lives of those who do the right thing. Friends, I want you to stand with me because I want to consider that God is calling us to do things beyond our emotion. 
He wants us to pick the right thing and invite him into that conversation. Father, you have a plan and purpose for me. It tells us in the word that before any one of our days were ever written, that God had ordained each day. So, Father, what is the right thing for me? What is the right thing for me right now? And, Lord, I can't just pick the parts that I like, but, Lord, I pick the entirety of your package. What is the design for my life that you have ordained to be good? The Father of heavenly lights who give good things to his children, what is it that you want to give that is good for me? All of it. The good, the seemingly uncomfortable, but all of it for all things work out for the good of those who love them and are called according to his purpose. Father, what is it that you're trying to fulfill and how will you honor? See, I want you to extract a little bit beyond this story. I want you to open up your vantage point and zoom out for a bit. Hop on your plane and take a 30,000 foot view of this story. For we find here a couple of characters, two to be precise, Ruth and Boaz, who God ordained sovereignly for them to get married. Ruth and Boaz have a son, and that son is named Obed, who then in turn gets married and has a son by the name of Jesse, who later on does the same, no spoiler there, but he has a son by the name of David. The record is given to us so that we can appreciate it. Why is it that I'm hearing names? Why am I reading this story about this man, this woman, and now they're giving me their whole family tree? Well, God puts that in there because he wants us to appreciate the story on multiple levels. See, Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. Think about this. Boaz, who acted, risking his own name, now has his name forever recorded in the annals of history. Why? Because of the fact that his descendant is King David. To this very day, his descendant is mentioned every time you look at the flag of their country. The star of David is on that flag. I want you to stop and think about this. God gives Ruth this opportunity not only to have within her lineage King David, the greatest king that all of Israel had. But if you just go down a few more generations, in fact, you go down 27 generations, and you're going to see later on someone much more powerful and much more greater than David himself, and that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Within her family tree is Jesus. And we find the genealogy there in Matthew chapter 1. See, friend, this is an incredible story of redemption and love that God put together. Think about what God has done here. He has taken a woman named Ruth, who was not only a Gentile woman. Think about this. She wasn't related to Abraham. She wasn't part of the covenant. She was not part of the word that said, through you all nations shall be blessed, Abraham. She is apart from that promise, a foreigner. Not only that, Ruth, a descendant of an incestuous relationship that occurred between Lot and his daughters. Go read Genesis. It's a very shady past. 
Because that's who the Moabites are. She is from that land, from that tree. Not only this, but Ruth, who possibly even herself, her people, worshipped a false god named Chamosh, who was known for worship of sacrificing babies, human sacrifice. Maybe Ruth participated in this at one point in her life. Think about this Ruth who did not know God, did not love God, did not worship God, did not follow God. Ruth, this woman who was a widow, who was destitute, who was broken, who was hopeless. God takes this Ruth and he says, hey, Ruth, you are the person that I want to redeem. God takes this woman and he redeems her life. He turns her life around and he places her in the messianic line of Jesus Christ himself. Friends, Ruth is a picture of humanity. She's a picture of you and I. See, God did this with Ruth, Sam, but he did this with me. He's doing that with you, Don. He's doing that with each and every one of us. Ruth represents all of us. All of us have been far away from him. All of us have forsaken him and left him. All of us have not worshipped him or sought after him. All of us who have a sordid past, a hopeless present, and a very bleak future, God is in the business of redeeming for his glory the roots of the world. Brian, you, and me. God is redeeming humanity. But then comes Boaz. Here comes Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. And the preacher, well known in England by the name of Charles Spurgeon, he goes on to say that Jesus is our glorious Boaz. Jesus, the glorious Boaz. For when Boaz came to survey his field, so Jesus came to survey the earth. While Boaz came and looked out and saw Ruth, Jesus looked out as he prayed, Father, bless all of them that are still to come. When he looked down from heaven, he saw us. While Boaz spoke kindly to Ruth, we know that Jesus speaks kindly to us. Why? Because the word says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Ruth found favor in the eyes of Boaz, and we have found favor in the eyes of Jesus. That's why he died for us on that cross. Boaz was a kinsman redeemer for Ruth, a relative. Jesus stepped out of heaven and took on flesh that he may be known and called a relative of humanity. Boaz loved Ruth, and Jesus so loved us that he gave himself up so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. She is, Jesus is our glorious Boaz. It cost Boaz something. He had to take out of his own resources, spend the money, buy the field, gain Ruth. It cost him something to redeem this woman. Well, Jesus, we know it cost him everything. For he paid the price to purchase us and redeem us from sins. 1 Peter 1.18 For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver with, which lose their value. 
But here it is. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Can somebody give God praise? Friends, the right thing for us to do is to sit at his feet. Ruth came in the cover of night. She said, will you spread your cloak over me? Will you redeem me? The right thing for us to do is say, Father, thank you for your son who makes redemption possible. It's for us to come and fall down at our Boaz, our glorious Jesus, and say, Lord, will you spread your wings over me? Will you spread your cloak over me? Will you redeem me from my sin and my shame? Will you take me out of my sordid past and my hopeless present and my very bleak and dark future? Can you be the one that redeems me because you are my redemption? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're contemplating. I don't know what has worked out well or has not. Let me just tell you, the right thing is to turn it over to Jesus. The right thing is to invite him into your circumstance. The right thing is to say, Lord, I resume my relationship. God, I need to start one with you. Father, I need you and what you have accomplished through your son. Be my redemption. So as we conclude this series today, I'm going to open up these altars. I'm going to invite those who are part of the prayer team to come up right now. All of you, wherever you are, if you pray, if we've called you to pray, come on up right now. Come, don't move, don't wait. Dr. Ette, come on up, help us out. Um, where, where are my, my board members? Come on up. We're going to open up these altars. And I want you to just lay some things at the feet of Jesus. Whether it's a pain, a sorrow, a healing that you need, a, you know, a sickness that's going on, a circumstance that's too desperate and too dire, whatever it is. Maybe it's the way of walking and the way that you've been living and things haven't been working out. You need Jesus to come on in and deal with some things in your heart. I want our prayer partners to just be ready to pray a blessing over you and walk with you. See, the reality is that we never know the story that God is writing. God wants to write a story in your life that grants you hope and reminds you, you can keep moving forward from here. I haven't finished writing the story. I've got people that will be blessed because of your life. I've got others who will find me and give me glory like there are people now glorifying Ruth for her faithfulness because through her came Jesus. There are people that you will encounter in heaven who will say to you, thank you for your faithfulness to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus because he came and redeemed you and through you I found redemption in Christ. So I'm going to invite you to lift up a hand and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. There are some decisions I need to make. Help me do the right thing. 
Help me pick your package that is ultimately for my good. And honor me as I follow after you. Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts, that you would release your blessing, that God, you would renew your incredible plan of salvation in every heart and life that you would guide people into all truth in your precious and mighty name.